You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker, and boy, was uh, the debates pretty boring, honestly. (laughs) It was uh, kind of the same thing we listened to the first time around. There wasn't a whole lot of new substance uh, coming out of these. Um, However, we are kind of seeing uh, some of the candidates separate from the pack well, not necessarily like making their breakout moments, but we are starting to see some of the candidates start to kind of drop off to the end. That way we can kind of, at this point, I can kind of visualize who I'm probably going to see in the uh, the fall debates and who I'm probably going to be seeing coming up into the, uh, the nomination series. Um, getting a better idea of what we can look forward to, but I wanted to make this a two part series. Um, so I'm going to try and keep this one uh, a little bit shorter. Um, so this will be part one. I'm going to be covering the first night of the debates and I'll do a separate episode for the second night of the debates. I think it's just going to be easier to, uh, separate the two just because we have so many candidates. We still have 20 candidates that we are going to be covering. And so to kind of break it down with 10 and 10, I think that'll be easier um, for both myself and for you, the listener to kind of gather your thoughts on this. So, um, I'm going to be giving my opinion on, on how these candidates are doing, uh, or how they did during these debates and how they're going to be doing in the future. Um, so thank you for joining me on this. So let's go ahead and and get started here. So, um, the first night of the debates, the candidates that were on stage were Bernie Sanders, um, Elizabeth Warren. Those are your two heavy hitters there, uh, top of the pack. Um, you also had Pete Buttigieg, um, Beto O'Rourke was there, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, uh, John Hickenlooper, Marianne Williamson, and Steve Bullock. So, Steve Bullock, if you're um, watching the the video, uh, he's kind of like in the the top row, um, second one from the right. Um, he's kind of right beside Pete Buttigieg. Um, right there. So he is the governor of Montana and he's one of the newer candidates. He actually filled in the slot, um, since our, our favorite candidate here with, uh, Eric nuke them all Swalwell dropped out. So, um, Steve Bullock took his place and he actually did a pretty decent job. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of recap the night for you. We'll go through a couple different clips. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with, um, like the, how the speaking time was arranged, how the, the, how many candidates got what kind of speaking time and, and what they're looking like moving forward into the fall debates. Who's going to be, who's going to be getting, getting into those. Uh, so first things first, let's take a look at how this thing actually, uh, played out here. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the very beginning of how the democratic national debate round. I, I suppose this is still technically round one. All right. So we're in round one, the, the first round here, um, just the second debate of round one. Here we go. 
and gentlemen, the Democratic candidates for President of the United States. So take a look at how this started. Now please rise for the presentation of colors from the James Europe VFW Post 2233 and the District 4 Honor Guard. And please remain Wait standing for our national anthem performed. Holy cow. If you're not watching the video, this is the first thing that came to my head when I was watching this live on TV. They're presenting the colors. So the first thing you see at the Democratic National Debate, they zoom in on the color guard coming in. They've got some uh, veterans at the front. Some uh, older looking veterans. First thing you see, white guy with a gun. <laughs> Is that not <laughs> hilarious to see at the Democratic Net? Oh my God, there's a white guy with a gun. And the American flag is there. Oh, how offensive can you get? And then look who's going to be marching behind him. By Detroit's own Pastor Marvin Winans and the Perfecting Church Choir. Oh my God, they got a white guy with a gun with the American flag behind him and some African-American veterans behind him. Oh. <laughs> so I thought this was just so funny to see just because like n literally no one has a problem with this except for the people that I would think would be there. So national anthem's about to start. And right here... So if you're not watching the video, uh, let me kind of break it down here. All right. So we just had the color guard come in, white guy with a gun leading the way at the Democratic debates. Already amazing. Uh, also, national anthem. I was thinking in my head, I was like, is one of them going to pull a Kaepernick if they do the national anthem or one of them going to drop down on the knee? And so Tim Ryan is here. Everyone's got their hands over their heart. Except for Tim Ryan. He's just got his, got his uh, arms at his side uh, crossed in front of him. But I was like, Tim, are you going to are you going to drop a knee? Are you going to pull a Kaepernick? He never does, but he, he keeps his arms crossed in front of him. Never. He never puts his hand in front of his heart. So obviously a uh, publicity stunt there just to get people and rightly so. I mean, there were headlines obviously about Tim Ryan not putting his hand over his heart for the national anthem and yada, yada. He knew he knew exactly what he was doing about all of that. Um, I, I didn't necessarily think it's just like I obviously it's not that big of a deal, but it, it was he knew what he was doing. He, he was pulling a he was pulling a Kaepernick in his own way. He wasn't going fully down on the knee, but he, he was doing his own thing. So 
in a way, props to you, Tim Ryan, because no one's going to be talking about you after this debate series. Literally no one. All right. So let's go over some of the candidates and how they did. Um, so there was a few candidates that absolutely needed a moment big time. They, they were um, hurting after the first series. Um, MSNBC did a horrible job kind of reining the candidates in the last time. So a lot of them didn't get a lot of chance to uh, speak. Um, so a lot of the heavy hitters um, stood on top and they dominated the speaking time. Um, CNN actually did a way better job than MSNBC, which isn't saying much, but they did. They did a, a much better job hosting this debate series. Um, they actually, Jake Tapper specifically, really did a good job kind of making sure the candidates stayed inside of time. If they started to go over, he would, he was not shy about interrupting them and forcing them to be like, Hey, shut up. <laughs> Your time's up. Shut up. Um, and, and they were having none of it. If some of the, uh, the candidates would try to interject into someone else's speaking time and try and talk over people, they were having none of that. Um, so I, props to CNN for doing a better job. It's still such a crappy, way to this this kind of debate structure is so terrible anyway i mean you give people like 30 seconds to a minute to answer a very complex issue a question and an issue it's just a crappy way to figure out or to like to try and explain even if you're a person that has good ideas like you're not going to be able to get across ideas in that short amount of time. It's just, this is, this is a process that is, is weeding out the ones that, that don't need to be there or the, the ones that are just kind of taking up space. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that it's structured this way, um, early on, but that structure stays as the, the groups get smaller as well. So it's just, I don't know. I don't really like the structure of it, but CNN did a, uh, a pretty decent job. Uh, anyway, the, the, there were some candidates that definitely needed a moment. They were hurting after the first series. Uh, one of those candidates was Beto O'Rourke. Um, he, <laughs> if you listen to my last episode, he really got messed up the first, uh, first debate. He, he was, he was hurting badly. Um, he was on the defensive the whole time. People were attacking him. Um, not many people attacking Beto O'Rourke this time. I think they figured out that they knocked him down so far that it was unlikely that he was going to reach back up. Um, so Beto really, really needed a moment and he just never got it. He never did. And this is such a, I mean, this is a guy that was really, really close to beating Cruz in Texas. He almost flipped Texas blue, um, which is eventually going to happen. But I mean, even today would be an enormous feat to accomplish. So there was a lot of, at the beginning of his um, campaign and his candidacy, there was a lot of push with the uh, Democratic Party behind him. They were like, hey, this could be, you know, white Obama coming in through here. I mean, he almost flipped Texas blue. What could go wrong? Well, Beto O'Rourke went wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's had a, a horrible campaign and a horrible showing the last um, the t- last two debates. He's just completely forgettable. Um, so Beto O'Rourke has successfully pulled off <laughs> a 360 varial kickflip directly into a dumpster fire. That's, that's the way I can explain how beta or works done so far. So I don't think he, uh, he makes it into the next debate. I think he's toast. Um, let's go on to Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Um, Bernie Sanders, 
Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg, I, I think out of this group here, those are your three heavy hitters. Um, and really all they have to do is just kind of survive the night. I think we'll see all three of those um, going into the fall debates. Uh, so really all they have to do is like try and make a moment if they can make a moment for themselves um, and to just kind of survive the night. Um, and I think that's what really they, they kind of accomplished that. Um, and what was so interesting about this, this first night that kind of set the tone for really both nights of the debate is it was very much a battle of the moderates versus the progressives. Um, so as we go through some of these clips here, uh, in just a moment, you'll notice that, uh, all of these clips, the, the, the main contested issues were coming from the, uh, moderates kind of attacking the progressive agenda. So these democratic moderates like Tim Ryan, John Delaney, um, and even, uh, Steve, uh, Bullock were going full head on attacking Bernie Sanders, attacking Pete Buttigieg, attacking, uh, Elizabeth Warren. And so really the, the progressives were kind of on their heels tonight. Um, they were on their heels, uh, during the, the entire debate. Um, they, they were taking shots from these moderates granted the, the candidates that are the moderates are, are not very, they're not polling very high. I doubt they're going to, well, I'm going to say they're, they're not going to reach the next debate, but they were raising decent issues with the progressive agenda, uh, with healthcare, with immigration. They're saying, look, you're going too far left. You're alienating too many people. You're going to lose the election to Donald Trump this way. This isn't the way to do it. So I thought that was so interesting because that that kind of carried over into the second night as well. And, and we'll talk about that in the uh, the next episode. But very, very interesting to see that. <clears throat> um, so uh, with with uh, Buttigieg, Warren and uh, well, specifically with Biden or excuse Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders and Warren, um, they didn't attack each other at all. They, they were kind of fielding both of these um, attacks and they were kind of supporting each other in a way, which was kind of weird, um, to see because eventually these two are going to have to butt heads. They're essentially the same person. Elizabeth Warren is doing a better job at pretending to be Bernie Sanders than Bernie Sanders is. Okay. And I'll give Bernie some credit. The last debate, he was very boring. He was not energetic at all. He didn't really do much. He's Bernie Sanders. So he's still pulling high. Um, I will say he had an extra glass of insure before this before this debate. He had more energy. He was definitely more of the the fiery Bernie Sanders that people like to to see. He was very angry. He would yell. And um, uh, but Elizabeth Warren was fielding a, a lot of these issues herself, and she was answering better than Bernie would. She would answer some of these questions, and Bernie would be like, "Yeah, I agree with her. <laughs> yeah, what she said." That's not going to be good. These two are going to have to, they're polling at essentially the same rate. I think Sanders is polling at 14% Warren at around 12 to 11. These two are going to have to butt heads sooner than later. And I don't know. I, I think Warren has been continually gaining steam. Um, I don't know who's going to come out on top of, uh, of that. I, th I want to say Warren might come out on top on that, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Elizabeth Warren definitely invoked Trump's name the most. Uh, I, I did see that on a uh, a, uh, a poll she or a chart. 
She invoked Trump's name the most. So she did actually go after Trump um, during this debate, which was uh, a lot better than they did the first time around. Trump hardly got mentioned. So uh, Pete Buttigieg, let's go on to Pete Buttigieg. Uh, He is doing just enough to get by. I mean, he's kind of, um, he's charismatic in his own way, just because he's like, he's the youngest candidate on the stage. Um, but policy wise, he's got no concrete policy issues. Um, the guy hasn't offered up any plans, uh, any solid plans at all. Um, he, he can't go on much longer like that. So I've heard a lot of, uh, talk about him potentially being a VP pick. So if he wants to be potentially that VP pick, he needs to start bolstering up his, uh, his polling numbers and actually starting to get a little bit more aggressive. Um, and he needs to make, uh, more enemies rather than just like the, he's attacked the Christian faith a couple times. Um, actually let's take a look at, at some of those. He, he desperately needs to like pick somebody to go after. Uh, otherwise people are going to forget like what exactly he's, uh, he's there to do. And that's not good if you're running for president. Let's take a look here. The minimum wage is just too low. And so-called conservative Christian senators right now in the Senate are blocking a bill to raise the minimum wage when scripture says that whoever oppresses the poor taunts their maker. Mayor, thank you very much. The minimum- so there you go. He's uh, invoking Proverbs to support the minimum wage. So th- that's the second time he's uh, attacked kind of like uh, Christians and, and saying that you know, people have no right to claim themselves as Christians if they hold a value that's opposite of his, <laughs> like not being a fan of the minimum uh, wage hike. Obviously, you're not a good Christian if you're a fan, uh, not a fan of hiking the minimum wage. So he's got to do he's got to find a different enemy than that. That's not going to win you the presidency attacking people's religion like that. It is, it's kind of obvious that this guy's got a little bit of a uh, a. a st- Dinger from maybe some old uh, church days, potentially. I don't know. He, he seems kind of uh, aggressive um, towards that. And people can see that. People can feel that. And that's not going to uh, get you anywhere in this in this country. Um, people don't like that. So let's uh, let's go on to a different clip of him. He actually uh, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg was just like, so uh, let's not worry about what the Republicans are going to call us. He's like, you can do the, the far left policies or like the moderate policies. They're still going to call us socialists. So let's take a listen to uh, to Buttigieg kind of calling for the Democratic Party to just be socialist instead. Will so shut I us want to bring down in on Mayor Buttigieg. Else. Mayor Buttigieg, it is response. time to stop worrying about what the Republicans will say. Look, yes. if, if if it's true that if we embrace a far left agenda, they're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what we're, they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. So let's just stand up for the right policy, go out there and defend it. That's the policy I'm putting forward, not because I think it's the right triangulation between Republicans here and Democrats there, because I think it's the right answer for people like my mother-in-law who is here, (laughs) whose life was saved by the ACA, but who is still far too vulnerable to the fact that the insurance industry does not care about Senator Senator Sanders. All right. So there you go. Pete Buttigieg. So the Republicans are going to call us socialists anyway. So let's just uh, 
Let's just be socialists. <laughs> All right. Whatever, whatever you say there, uh, Pete. Um, let's let's move on to uh, Tim Ryan and John Delaney. So these two really needed to kind of break out of the pack. Um, they needed to be the voice of reasons for the kind of moderate side um, against like the the far left progressive heavy group. I mean, most of the candidates uh, on the stage on both nights are, are progressives um, and they're kind of preaching very far left ideas. Um, there's very few moderates. And, and I mean, I don't like them, but Tim Ryan and John Delaney are kind of like, and Steve Bullock are the only kind of moderates on that stage out of the 10. Um, so they were on the attack and rightly so. So they needed to separate from the pack. They kind of did. They, they definitely had more speaking time than they did the, uh, the first go around. Um, the most important thing I learned about these two though, they, they made some decent points, but there's no way that they're going to make it to the second debate or the second round. Um, the fall debates, they're not making it. Um, try as they might, the, this is no longer the party of 2008 Obama. Okay. And we'll talk about that on the next episode because when like Biden got trashed for Obama's policies and it was really something to watch. Um, so that just, it, it was really surprising. It was something to watch and it just proves that it's, that's the fact, like the, the democratic party that voted in Obama is not the democratic party of today. It's very much the socialist democratic party. That's just what it is. And, and so these, these moderates are having an uphill battle. Try as they may, they're, they're going to get left behind because that's just where their party's going. Unfortunately for all of us, unfortunately, uh, let's take a look at some of the key battles, uh, actually that these guys had, uh, here we go. Let's take a look at this. Let's start the debate with the number one issue for democratic voters, healthcare. And Senator Sanders, let's start with you. You support Medicare for all, which would eventually take private health insurance away from more than 150 million Americans in exchange for government-sponsored health care for everyone. Congressman Delaney just referred to it as bad policy, and previously he has called the idea political suicide that will just get President Trump reelected. Mm. What do you say to Congressman Delaney? You're wrong. <laughs> Right now, we have a dysfunctional health care system, 87 million uninsured or underinsured, $500,000, 500,000 Americans every year going bankrupt because of medical bills, 30,000 people dying while the health care industry makes tens of billions of dollars in profit. Five minutes away from here, John, is a country. It's called Canada. They guarantee health care to every man, woman, and child as a human right. They Along with higher taxes, much higher taxes. And half of what we spend. And by the way, when you end up in a hospital in Canada, you come out with no bill at all. Health care. Once you get in the door, you know, if they let you in the door, would you... If you have cancer, you might have to wait a couple weeks to get surgery. <laughs> but they come out with no bill because 70% of their money was taken out of their paycheck last week. And 
the, the entire time they've been alive. As long as they've been alive to make money, they're getting 70% of their paycheck gone. Let's adopt that system. Is a human right, not a privilege. I believe that. I will fight for that. Thank you, Senator Sanders. Congressman Delaney. Well, I'm right about this. We can create a universal health care system to give everyone basic health care for free, and I have a proposal to do it. But we don't have to go around and be the party of subtraction and telling half the country who has private health insurance that their health insurance is illegal. My dad, the union electrician, loved the health care he got from the IBEW. He would never want someone to take that away. Half of Medicare beneficiaries now have Medicare Advantage, which is private insurance or supplemental plans. It's also bad policy. It'll underfund the industry. Many Thank hospitals you, will close, and it's bad Sen policy. Senator Sanders, I want to... was I, also mentioned in I, this. We're going to come to you in one second, but let me go to Senator <laughs> Sanders uh, right now. Senator Sanders? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, tens of millions of people lose their health insurance every single year when they change jobs, when their employer changes that insurance. If you want stability in the health care system, if you want a system which gives you freedom of choice with regard to doctor or hospital, which is a system which will not bankrupt you, the answer is <laughs> to get rid of... <laughs> a system which estimates have come up close to all of my policies going over $30 trillion will not bankrupt you. <laughs> my God. The profiteering of the drug companies and the insurance companies moves to Medicare for all. But now he's talking about a different issue. What I'm talking about is really simple. We should deal with the tragedy, be uninsured, and give everyone health care as a right. But why do we got to be the party of taking something away no, from people? No one is the okay, party. Hold, hold That's on what second, they're Senator. running on. They're <laughs> no. running on telling half the country that your health insurance is illegal. It says. See, who, who is this guy talking to? Is he talking to Warren or is he talking to Sanders? Well, they're essentially the same person. So Warren's like, you're attacking Sanders, you're attacking me. So she's trying to get a word in. It's all so confusing. Right in the bill. All right, thank we you. don't have to do that. We can give everyone health care okay. and allow people to have no. choice. That's the American way. Look, thank you, Congressman. Senator Warren. So look, let's, let's be clear about this. We are the Democrats. We are not about trying to take away health care from anyone. That's what the Republicans are trying to do. And we should stop using Republican talking points in order to talk with each other about oh. how the best So this happens several times during the uh, this debate and the the night after. They, this is a point that the progressives go to as soon as they get challenged on some of their ideas and he starts to bring up a good point. Look, you can have what you want, create your public option. Why are you going to ban and make private insurance illegal? Why are you going to strip that option away from people? That's a good point. I mean, if you want a public option to get everybody on health care, just give them a public option that they can get in. Why do you have to ban and make illegal private insurance? That's a Republican talking point. When they bring up these Republican talking points, this happens several times. It was really something because they don't have anything to challenge those views. to tell the story about my friend, Addie Barkin. Addie is 35 years old. He has a wife, Rachel. He has a cute little boy named Carl. He also has ALS, <clears throat> and it's killing him. 
Eddie has health insurance, good health Senator, insurance, and it's not Senator, nearly enough. I want to, no, I'm, gonna, I'm coming right, I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you. But, Senator, but you're you, just you, telling you, a story. You your time, and so <laughs> let me just stay with you on Medicare for All. All right. At the last debate, you said you're, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All. Now, Senator Sanders has said that people in the middle class will pay more in taxes to help pay for Medicare for All, though that will be offset by the elimination of insurance premiums and other costs. Are you also, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All when it comes to raising taxes on middle-class Americans so to pay for giant it? giant corporations and billionaires are going to pay more. Middle-class families are going to pay less out-of-pocket for their health care. And I'd like to finish talking about... So there, there you have it. A complete dodge. Billionaires and millionaires are going to pay more, but the middle class are going to pay less out of pocket for their health care <laughs> when they go and they get their bill and their bill says, oh, it's been covered. Oh, I don't have anything out of pocket for these health uh, health services because it's already been taken out of your pocket. Just she dodges this question several times. She will not say that she will raise taxes on the middle class. She won't utter it. She always says that it's going to, well, the, the numbers, they kind of, uh, which is complete BS. The, the numbers, they'll just, they'll even out over time. Then they'll actually save money going this way. Yeah, but prices, the, the taxes on the middle class are going to skyrocket for this. Eddie, the guy who has ALS... This isn't funny. <clears throat> this is somebody who has health insurance and is dying. And every month, he has about $9,000 in medical bills that his insurance company won't cover. His wife, Rachel, is on the phone for hours and hours and hours begging the insurance company, please cover what the doctors say he needs. He talks about what it's like to go online with thousands of other people to beg friends, family, and strangers for money so he can cover his medical expenses. The basic profit model of an insurance company is taking as much money as you can in premiums and pay out as little as possible in health care coverage. That is not working Thank for you. Americans across this country. Thank you, Senator. Medicare for all will fix that, and that's why Thank I'll Thank you, fight Senator. For Just it. a point of clarification in 15 okay. extra seconds. Would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all? Uh, offset, obviously, by yes the or no. of insurance premiums. Yes or no? Costs will go up for billionaires and go up for corporations. For middle class families, costs, total costs will go down. Let me, Governor Bullock, I, I want to bring you But taxes will be raised. Support Medicare for all. How do you respond to Senator Warren? No, health care is so personal to all of us. Never forget when my 12-year-old son had a heart attack within 24 hours of his life. Had to be life flighted to Salt Lake City. But because we had good insurance, he's here with me tonight. At the end of the day, I'm not going to support any plan that rips away quality health care from individuals. This is an example of wish list economics. It used to be just Republicans wanted to repeal and replace. Now many Democrats do as well. We can get there with a public option, negotiating drug prices, ending. Thank you, Governor Bullock. I want to bring in Mayor Buttigieg on the topic of whether or not the middle class should pay higher taxes in exchange for guaranteed health care and the elimination of insurance premiums. How do you respond, Mayor? So we don't have to stand up here speculating about whether the public option will be better that, or a Medicare for all environment will be better than the corporate options. We can put it to the test. 
That's the concept of my Medicare for all who want it proposal. That way, if people like me are right, that the public alternative is going to be not only more comprehensive, but more affordable than any of the corporate options around there. We'll see Americans walk away from the corporate options into that Medicare option, and it will- Well, why don't you look at this financial stability right now of the options you have, which I, I guaranteed, no question here, the system we have is terrible. The system we have right now is awful. But look at the difference. You've got Medicare and Medicaid, trillions of dollars in debt right now. You have Social Security added into that. That's like close to 100 trillion unfunded liabilities there. It's going to be cheaper and better. This is a government that is $22 trillion in debt that people are wanting to entrust with their health care and their retirement. How naive. Come Medicare for so all just, without us having we, to kick anybody 15, off their insurance. Just 15 seconds on the clarification. You are willing to raise taxes on middle class Americans in order to have universal coverage with the disappearance of insurance premiums, yes or no? I think you can buy into it. That's the idea of Medicare for all who want it. Look, this is a distinction without a difference whether you're paying the same money in the form of taxes or premiums. Look, in this country, if you have health coverage, if you don't have health co coverage, you're paying too much for care. And if you do have health coverage, you're paying Thank too you, much Mayor for Buttigieg. care. Jane. I want to bring in Congressman O'Rourke <clears throat> on the topic of whether the middle class should pay higher taxes in exchange for universal coverage and the elimination of insurance premiums. What's your response? The answer is no. The middle class will not pay more in taxes in order to ensure that every American is guaranteed world-class health care. I think we're being offered a false choice. Some who want to improve the Affordable Care Act at the margins, others who want a Medicare for All program that will force people off of private insurance. I have a better path. Medicare for America. Everyone who's uninsured is enrolled in Medicare yeah. tomorrow. Those who are insufficiently insured are enrolled in Medicare. Just to 15 seconds. And those who, who have employer-sponsored insurance. Who's offering a false, Jake, false choice here? Who's offering a false choice here? You, you have some. Uh, Governor Bullock, who said that we will uh, improve the Affordable Care Act at the margins with a public option. You have others, to my okay. right, who are talking about taking away people's choice for the private insurance they have or members of unions. I was listening to Thank D. You, Taylor in Nevada. Governor his Bullock. his he members just, he just said you're, said you're offering a false for. choice, sir. Congressman, not at all. You know, it took us decades and false starts to get the Affordable Care Act. So let's actually build on it. A public option allowing anyone to buy in. You know, we pay more for prescription drugs than any place actually in the world. we got nothing to show for it. Negotiate we develop all of them. Drug prices. <laughs> in surprise medical billing. That's the way that we can get there without disrupting the lives of 160 million people Congressman that like their employer-sponsored health insurance. Congressman O'Rourke, every, every estimate that I've seen of expanding ACA, even through a public option, still leaves millions of people uninsured and also means that people are not guaranteed the health care that they need, as the example that Senator Warren showed us. Our plan ensures that everyone is enrolled in Medicare or can keep their employer-sponsored insurance. When we listen to the American people, and this is what they want us to do, they want everyone covered, but they want to be able to Thank maintain you, choice, and our plan does that. So, that was uh, one of the the big topics there. Obviously, healthcare was was something that was debated uh, across the aisle on on both sides with the moderates 
and the progressives. Um, even uh, Tim Ryan was talking about how taking private insurance away from people are and and decriminalizing illegal crossing of the border. All of these policies that are coming from the progressives are not a winning agenda. Uh, this is this is something that. Uh, let's see here. Let me see if I can get this. Uh, here we go. So let's actually listen to uh, to Tim Ryan say this right here. I don't like Tim Ryan, but he, he makes up a pretty good point. I want to bring in Congressman Ryan. You're from the state of Ohio. It's a state that voted twice for Obama and then went to President Trump in 2016. Please. By the way, this guy looks like he just packed like seven Adderall in his mouth and just gulped right before Jake Tepper asked him a question. His eyes are huge. To Senator Sanders. I would just say Hillary Clinton was winning in the polls, too. To take a poll, snapshot in the polls today and apply it 16 months from now, whenever it is, I don't think is accurate. Now, That's in this true. discussion already tonight, we've talked about taking private health insurance away from union members in the industrial Midwest. We've talked about decriminalizing the border, and we've talked about giving free health care to undocumented workers when so many Americans are struggling to pay for their health care. I, quite frankly, don't think that that is a, an agenda that we can move forward on and win. We've got to talk about the working class issues, the people that take a shower after work who haven't had a raise Thank in you. 30 years. You, if we focus on them, we'll win the election. Thank you, Congressman. I want to bring Congressman O'Rourke. Your response. All right. So there you are. It's not a winning agenda, which that's to be seen. But I would think that it wouldn't be. But, I mean, a lot of people are, are coming for that. We'll see. Uh, John Hickenlooper, you hadn't seen him in the clip so far. Dude was just, I, I forgot he was even there. <laughs> so John Hickenlooper, dude, you gotta like make some noise. Like, I mean, he, they gave him some lines to talk about, but like he didn't make a moment for himself. He, he He's not in any of the highlight video clips. I, I mean, I, during the debate, which was way too long too. can I just say this? Those things, both nights are way too long. It was like, I was excited to watch them because I, I'm a weirdo that actually enjoys kind of watching these things. But it was like such a drag. Like they were, they were over two hours long. It was so bad. And you weren't really getting much substance out of these debates anyway. It was kind of boring. Uh, so John Hickenlooper, I think he's done. Uh, obviously, I don't think we'll see him again. So bye, John. Um, Amy Klobuchar, she had literally one moment and I'll let you listen to it here. Uh, Amy Klobuchar's one moment. She makes a, a decent point, but I don't know as if we'll see her in the next debate either, but let's take a listen to, uh, to what she had to say. Thank you, sir. I want to bring in, I want to bring in Senator Klobuchar at the beginning of the night you said you're going to hear a lot of promises on the stage. And previously you have said, when asked about your primary opponents, quote, a lot of people are making promises and I'm not going to make promises just to get elected. Who on the stage is making promises just to get elected? Everyone wants to get elected. <laughs> All of but you. my point is this. I think when we have a guy in the White House that has now told over 10,000 lies, that we better be very straightforward with the American people. And no, do I think that we are going to end up voting for a plan that kicks half of America off of their current insurance in four years? No, I don't think we're going to do that. I think there is a better way to get what we all want to see, which is... 
lower costs for health care. Do I think that we're going to vote to give free college to the wealthiest kids? No, I, I don't think we're going to do that. So that's what I'm talking about. But what I don't like about this argument right now, what I don't like about it at all, is that we are more worried about winning an argument than winning an election. And I think how we win an election is to bring everyone with us. And yes, I am one in a state every single time statewide. I have won those congressional districts that Donald Trump won by over 20 points. He just targeted Minnesota last week. And I've done it by getting out there and talking to people, by knowing rural issues and Thank farm you, Senator issues, Klobuchar. and bringing Metro people with me in the state Thank that you, had Senator the Klobuchar. highest voter turnout Thank in the you, country. Senator. I want to bring Congressman so that was uh, Klobuchar's one moment, one memorable moment is uh, her line was uh, the Democratic uh, Party is more interested in winning arguments than elections. So, hey, I mean, she's got a point, but uh, she just didn't she didn't separate herself from the pack at all d- during that night. And unfortunately for her, I don't think she's got the uh, the funding and support to get to the next to make the next hump. Um, Steve Bullock was interesting. Uh, so Steve Bullock, you heard him kind of talk previously. He's the, uh, the governor of Montana. Um, he, he kind of, he, he came across like right along with, uh, Tim Ryan was definitely the weaker of the moderates on stage. The, the stronger moderates on stage was definitely, uh, I would put John Delaney at first, but with Steve Bullock at a close second for the, uh, moderate presence on stage, he did a, he did a fairly good job. Um, he kind of, uh, bragged about his uh, success in a red state. Uh, so he's a uh, Democrat uh, governor of a red state. So he's bolstering that up as his credentials there. Um, and he was really kind of his big, his big moment for him was uh, both the, the kind of healthcare debate and the healthcare question along with um, uh, he actually challenged Warren on her stance. So Elizabeth Warren um, talked about decriminalizing illegal crossings of the border. So we kind of talked about that the last time it was, it was so surprising to see all of them support decriminalizing crossing of the border or illegal crossing of the border. And then they're all in support of providing health care for everybody. So you illegally cross the border. It's not a crime and you get free health care those two things cannot coexist. And Steve Bullock kind of challenges Warren on this. He kind of brings up the point of like, Hey, you know, this, this can't be our position here. It's an unwinnable position. Let's take a look at this exchange here. Talk about how we rebuild Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador. So people do not have to flee their own countries. Thank you, Senator governor Bullock. About two-thirds of Democratic voters and many of your rivals here for the nomination support giving health insurance to undocumented immigrants. You haven't gone that far. Why not? That is so crazy. This is a part of the discussion that shows... Look, I'll back this up just a little bit, but she says two-thirds of the Democratic Party supports this. I gotta listen to that again. I didn't even hear her, like, her numbers there. About two-thirds of Democratic voters and many of your rivals here for the... Two-thirds of Democratic voters support that? Providing health care for illegal immigrants? Holy cow. I didn't know that. 
nominations support giving health insurance to undocumented immigrants. You haven't gone that far. Why not? Look, I think this is a part of the discussion that shows how often these debates are detached from people's lives. We got 100,000 people showing up at the border right now. If we decriminalize entry, if we get health care to everyone, we'll have multiples of that. Don't take my word. That was President Obama's Homeland Security Secretary that said that. The biggest problem right now that we have with immigration, it's Donald Trump. He's using immigration to not only rip apart families, but rip apart this country. We can actually get to the point where we have both safe borders, where we have a path to citizenship, where we have opportunities for dreamers. And you don't have to decriminalize everything. What you have to do is have a president in there with the judgment and the decency to treat someone that comes to the border like one of our own. You know, I just Senator, want to add on this. He, he just said your plan is unrealistic. How do you respond? You know, I think that what we have to do is we have to be an America that is clear about what we want to do with immigration. We need to expand legal immigration. We need to create a path for citizenship, not just for dreamers, but for grandmas and for people who have been working here in the farms and for students who have overstayed their visas. We need to fix the crisis at the border. And a big part of how we do that is we do not play into Donald Trump's hands. But he wants to stir up the crisis at the border because that's his overall message. It's, if there's anything wrong in your life, Thank you, blame Senator Warren. Them. Governor Bullock, your response. <clears throat> But you are playing into Donald Trump's hands. The challenge isn't that it's a criminal offense to cross the border. The challenge is that Donald Trump is president and using this to rip families apart. A sane immigration system needs a sane leader. And we can do that without decriminalizing, providing health care for everyone. And it's not me saying that. That's Obama's Homeland Security no. Secretary that said you'll cause further problems at the border, not making it better. Look, there you go. What you're saying is ignore the law. Laws matter. <laughs> and it matters. No, it's he's, he's saying that the law should be in place, not ignore it. You're ignoring the law. <laughs> you're saying that these people are that are crossing the border illegally shouldn't it's it shouldn't be a crime to do that you're ignoring the law <laughs> what cause further problems at the border not making it better look, look. what you're saying is ignore the law laws matter and it matters if we say our law is that we will lock people up who come here seeking refuge who come here but seeking asylum that is not a crime and as Americans, exactly, what, it's not a crime to seek asylum. It is a crime to cross the border illegally. That's just how it is. Okay, like it or not, that's what it is. It, you're you're arguing something that and now if we were locking people up when they came to a port of entry claiming asylum, that's what that's obviously wrong. That's against the law. But if they come to a port of entry with a claim of asylum, they can do that. But if they cross the border illegally, that's when they get apprehended. And then that's when this whole mess with the child separation thing comes into play. I don't like it either, but that, that's that's what's happening. They're not just taking people that are going to a legal point of entry and claiming asylum. They're catching people that are crossing the border illegally. That's what it is.
we need to do is have a sane system that keeps us safe at the border, but does not criminalize the Thank activity you, of a Warren. mother Dana, fleeing I, I, here. Thank you. Me. Congressman Ryan, are Senator Sanders' proposals going to incentivize undocumented immigrants to come into this country illegally? Yes. You think? <laughs> and right now, if you want to come into the country, you should at least ring the doorbell. We have asylum laws. I saw the so kids boring. up in Grand Rapids, not far from here. It is shameful what's happening. But Donald Trump is doing it. And even if you decriminalize, which we should not do, you still have statutory authority. The president could still use his authority to separate families. So we've got to get rid of Donald Trump. But you don't decriminalize people just walking into the United States. If they're seeking asylum, of course we want to welcome them. We're a strong enough country to be able to welcome them. And as far as the health care goes, undocumented people can buy health care too. I mean, everyone else in America is paying for their health care. I think I don't think it's a stretch for us to ask undocumented people in the country to also pay for health care. Senator Sanders, your response. Well, I two things. A sane immigration policy moves to comprehensive immigration reform. It moves to a humane border policy in which, by the way, we have enough administrative judges so that we don't have incredible backlogs that we have right now. But to answer your question, I happen to believe that when I talk about health care as a human right, that applies to all people in this country. And under a Medicare for all single-payer system, we could afford to do that. Senator Sanders, thank you. Ms. Williamson, your response. Everything that we're talking about here tonight is what's wrong with American politics. And the Democratic Party needs to understand that we should be the party that talks not just about symptoms, but also about causes. Ooh, when it, when here we, we go, Marianne. We need to talk about more than just the health care plan. We need to realize we have a sickness <laughs> care rather than a health care system. We need to be the party talking about... Hold on. Let me get out my... I'm getting out my crystal here. I got, I got this just for Marianne. I got a healing crystal here. Here we go. Hold on. I got to back her up just a little bit. All right, here we are. Talks not just about symptoms, but also about causes. When, it, when we're talking about health care, we need to talk about more than just the health care plan. We need to realize we have a sickness care rather than a health care system. Mm. We need to be the party talking about why so many of our chemical policies and our food policies and our agricultural policies and our environmental policies and even our economic policies are leading to people getting sick to begin with. Healing crystals for everybody. 2020, Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Healing crystals for everyone. Um... So, yeah, so there's your your kind of clip there for the immigration issue there. So Marianne Williamson, since we're, we just saw her in that clip, I think that it's, it's so interesting to see this play out with her. So the first round of the debate, she was like, um, or the first debate that happened, she was memefied. She was, um, so she took the internet by storm because of her kind of, her like she she is all about love she's all about it's like she's a spiritual advisor to oprah and so she that's how she she's an author and so she uses all of these words and then the spiritual realm the dark spiritual energy and and there needs to be healing and love in the country and that's how we turn this country around and it's just and being memeified is a good thing. Like you, you see, like if you make a moment and, and you get your face and your name out there, that's a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing. Let's, um, let me actually show you a couple more, uh, clips of Marianne Williamson. 
She's fun to listen to. I mean, she actually got a lot of support from uh, from Republicans, and I don't know if any libertarians. I, I doubt any did. I mean, there may have been some, but some people were just uh, funding her campaign. They were going and donating to her campaign just because they they found her so funny and they wanted to to see her up on the debate stage more. I, I don't know. I think she's actually. And what's so interesting is in this night, you know, people were laughing at her the first night, but in this this second debate. Uh, she actually had the audience going for her. She like every she was making a lot of points that resonated with the audience, and I think a lot of people in the country might resonate with Marianne. But we'll see. But I think it's just so funny. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the. Let's take a look at the a couple um clips of Marianne here. But first, what I'm gonna do? I got this just for, just for Marianne here. So if you're not watching the video, I'm I'm sorry, but. I got this healing salt lamp here just for Marianne. So I've got my healing salt lamp on. I've got love in my heart and I'm ready to ready to be all in on Marianne. Here we go. Let's take a listen to this. In the heartland. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Ms. Williamson, what's your response on the Flint water crisis? My response on the Flint water crisis is that Flint is just the tip of the iceberg. I was recently in Denmark, South Carolina, where it is, there is a lot of talk about it being the next Flint. We, we have an administration that has gutted the Clean Water Act. We have communities, particularly communities of color and disadvantaged communities all over this country who are suffering from environmental injustice. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. Mm. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. This is part of the dark underbelly of American mm. The dark the underbelly. Racism, the bigotry, and the entire conversation that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized <laughs> hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. We need to say it like it is. It's bigger than Flint. It's all over this country. It's particularly people of color. It's particularly people who do not have the money to fight back. And if the Democrats don't start saying it, then why would those people feel that they're there for us? And if those people don't feel it, they... The bro Thank you very much. Listen to the crowd. The crowd is going crazy for her, but I got to go back and listen to her say the dark, dark psychic energy. Hold on. Let's see if I can find it. Wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized <laughs> hatred that this president. <laughs> the dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred of this president. <laughs> Boy, I hope you got your crystals close to you guys. She is on a roll here. Let's go to another one. Let's find another clip of Marianne. I think I got one more. Uh, and in the country today, yeah, okay. as president, I will sign into law a new voting rights act. I will focus on education, address health care disparities, but I will also sign into law Sheila Jackson Lee's reparations bill so that we can have the national conversation we have waited too long in this country to have. Thank you, Congressman Rourke. Speaking of reparations, Ms. Williams, Ms. Williamson, many of your opponents support a commission to study the issue of reparations for slavery. But you are calling for up to $500 billion in financial assistance. What makes you qualified to determine how much is owed in reparations? Well, first of all, it's not $500 billion in financial assistance. It's $500 billion, 200 to $500 billion, payment of a debt that is owed. That is what reparations is. 
We need some deep truth telling when it comes. We don't need another commission to look at evidence. I appreciate what uh, Congressman O'Rourke has said. It is time for us to simply realize that this country will not heal. All that a country is is a collection of people. You people need more crystals. Some deep truth telling. We need to recognize that when it comes to the economic gap between blacks and whites in America, it does come from a great injustice that has never been dealt with. That great injustice has had to do with the fact besides that there was a, 200... it's never been dealt with. Uh, besides hundreds of thousands of lives, countless lives and blood spilled in a civil war, one of the deadliest wars in our country's history, over the issue. I mean, that's got to count for something. <laughs> years of slavery, followed by another 100, 100 years of domestic terrorism. What makes me qualified to say 200 to $500 billion? I'll tell you what makes me qualified. If you did the math of the 40 acres and a mule, given that there was four to five million slaves at the end of, of, of the Civil War, there were four to five, and they were all promised 40 acres and a mule for every family of four. If you did the math today, it would be trillions of dollars. And I believe that anything less than $100 billion is is an insult, and I believe that 200 to 500 billion is, is politically feasible today because so many Americans realize there is an injustice that continues to form a toxicity underneath the surface, an emotional turbulence Ms. that Williamson, only reparations Thank you very much. Senator Sanders. <laughs> a toxicity underneath the surface. She, I love her little, like, her fingers doing the toxicity, like a, like a bubbling, like a bubbling acidic stew. <laughs> Oh, she's so much fun to listen to. I mean, she's she's wild and crazy, but uh, she's fun to listen to. And she's she's making points that resonate with people like you hear the crowd and she really made a, a scene. And each time she spoke, the crowd went crazy. I don't know what it is, but Marianne, man, I want to see her the next debate. I, I hope I get to see her the next debate. I don't I don't know as if she'll get enough donors or um, or push to make it to the next debate, but. Man, it'd be something to see her. <laughs> um, but overall, the biggest two moments out of the debate, and I'm going to wrap up uh, here in just a second. We're going to watch two more clips. I-, I want to go over the the two biggest moments of the debate, the two most viral moments. You may have seen them already. I don't know as if you have or not. Um, but let's get into um, the biggest biggest options or the, uh, the biggest moments here. So, uh, Senator Warren, uh, talking to, uh, Delaney. Here we go. And for Democrats to win, you can't be afraid either. Congressman Delaney, your response. <laughs> so, I, so I think Democrats win when we run on real solutions, not impossible promises. When we run on things that are workable, not fairy tale economics. Look at the story of Detroit, this amazing city that we're in. This city is turning around because the government and the private sector are working well together. That has to be our model going forward. We need to encourage collaboration between the government, the private sector, and the nonprofit sector, and focus on those kitchen table, pocketbook issues that matter to hardworking Americans, building infrastructure, creating jobs, improving their pay, Thank you, creating universal health care, lowering drug prices. Senator we Warren. Can do it. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. <laughs> I don't <get> it. <laughs> So, I mean, it's a pretty good line, but, uh, 
that is a Warren's biggest vi- viral moment of the uh, the debate. I don't know why you're running for president to, I don't know. I, she says, I don't understand why people run for president to say what we can't do or what we shouldn't fight for. A lot of people run on president on what we shouldn't be doing. Like the whole idea is like all of you are running on what Trump shouldn't do. <laughs> like, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but okay. That's her biggest moment there. Um, Bernie Sanders had his big moment too. It was, uh, I wrote the damn bill moment. Um, let me see here. Let me find it here. Good health care that they're going to lose their health care because Washington's going to come in and tell them they got a better plan. This is the left and right thing. New and better is this. Move Medicare down to 50. Allow people to buy in. Kaiser Permanente said that if they those 60 million people do that, they will see a 40 percent reduction you, in their health care costs. Let businesses you, buy in, Jake. So, Senator, and, let, let, let's talk about that. Um, if Medicare for all is enacted, there are more than 600,000 union members here in Michigan who would be forced to give up their private health care plans. Now, I understand that it would provide universal coverage, but can you guarantee those union members that the benefits under Medicare for all will be as good as the benefits that their representatives, their union reps, fought hard to negotiate? Well, two things. They will be better because Medicare for all is comprehensive. It covers all health care needs for senior citizens. It will finally include dental care hearing aids, and eyeglasses. But you don't know Second that. of all, you don't know that, second Bernie. of all, we'll come to you in a second, I do know, and I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> second of all, second of all. So that was Bernie's big moment. Um, Tim Ryan telling him that he doesn't know all that will be included, and Bernie saying, I do know it because I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> all right. Well, um, so... Let's wrap up here. So how are things looking before the debate? So these are the Google trends here. So the most searched candidates on Google ahead of the Detroit debate. Um, Number one was Bernie Sanders. Number two, Elizabeth Warren. Number three, Marianne Williamson. Um, Four, Steve Bullock. And what's so funny is Steve Bullock is uh, the most searched candidate in Montana (laughs) as if Montana was like, who is Steve Bullock again? He's our governor. What? (laughs) We had no idea. So, but it was so interesting. So take a look at this. So those are your most searched candidates, Bernie Sanders by far. How about after the debate? Let's take a look at after the debate. Oh, Marianne Williamson is the night one Google trends champion. She dominated the trends except for one state. Steve Bullock still held down Montana. So people were still being like, they can't believe that Steve Bullock is the the general, general, the governor of Montana. Goodness gracious. So uh, out of those candidates, who do I think is going to move on? You know, I think we'll see Pete Buttigieg, um, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Um, I don't think Beto O'Rourke's going to make it. He might. He might make it to the next one. He just hasn't done much at all. If he gets it, if he gets to the next one, I'll be very surprised. Um, 
and I I doubt he's going to go go out. Even if he does get in there, he's going to get shredded. Um, but any of the do any of the moderates get in? No, I don't think so. I, I think this was the last that we saw of the the moderates, the John Delaney's, the Tim Ryan's, the Steve Bullock's. This is the last you see of them. So it's going to be a very progressive, heavy uh, race from here on out. But that is night one. That's my coverage of night one. I hope you found it entertaining. I, I don't know if you listened to the debates at all. If you didn't, uh, that's probably why you're listening to me. Um, but I hope you found that entertaining. I hope you found it informative. Um, if you did, be sure to go on to uh, Apple Podcasts. And what I want to do is I want to try and get some uh, five-star ratings on uh, Apple Podcasts if possible. Uh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to get us up to a bunch of, I'd like to get to a goal of 50 five-star ratings if I can. So if you guys can do that, I'm going to send you one place. This is your, this is your viewership goal here, right here. This is your goal. Five-star ratings. If you haven't done it already, go to Apple podcasts. Give me a five-star rating. If you enjoyed it, if not, don't worry about it. Hey, it is what it is. Um, but I appreciate you guys. Uh, this was part one. So part two, I'm going to cover uh, the next day. I'm going to try and film that here in just a little bit. So we'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. See you later, everybody.